0: This is Hunting Land, the podcast for land hunters and landowners with real-time rut reports, waterfowl migrations, and how-tos for habitat management and land investment. I'm Joe Bay. I'm here with Clint Flowers again today. And Clint, sounds like you and I picked up a cold on the last weekend of hunting season.
1: Yep. These uh, temperature changes, you know, started the first morning, it was thirty degrees. By the time I left it was seventy-five and it uh, it got the best of me.
0: Well, what about the hunting? Uh, were the deer still you know, in any any phase of the rut there at your place?
1: I didn't expect to see any, and I sure didn't see any sign on the ground. But what I saw on the field in the half a dozen bucks we saw, they were all but one was in some form of chasing a doe, checking does, uh, harassing other bucks, uh, you know, all the signs that they're still in it to some degree. So we kind of adjusted our, our strategy based on that. And I saw a buck that I wanted to get on twice, but just could never make it happen.
0: Well, uh, you were telling me a little bit about that buck. He was a, a mature deer. What, what was he like?
1: Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he had a big big belly, sagging shoulders, about 23 inches wide, and he was an old, old six-point. And he was harassing uh, all the little two-and-a-half-year-old basket eights and everything that we want to let grow, and he was just telling them to get off his lady.
0: Well, you know, that buck is one that a lot of guys would call a cull buck. And, uh, just recently the Mississippi state deer lab came out with a podcast where they were talking about the, I guess the practice of culling and whether or not it can have an effect on the genetics of your deer herd. And what, what I learned from that podcast is basically there's been a ton of research done on the subject. And the net effect is that you can't affect the genetics of your deer herd through culling, but, Today on the show, we're going to go a little deeper into that. And we're going to be talking with Mark Buxton of Southeastern Wildlife Habitat Services. And Mark's got a little bit different take on the the practice of culling. Uh, So, Mark, welcome to the show. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your business and what you guys do over there.
2: Well, Joe, it's my my two sons and I. And we have uh, both a hands on management service and a consulting service where two sons and I, we hands-on manage several properties where we do all the work, trapping, planning, camera surveys, everything that's done on the property we do. And then on the side, we have a consulting business where we travel to different properties and do an on-site consultation with habitat recommendations and things like that. We've got clients in six
0: different things. Well, i follow you on Facebook and I, I appreciate everything you put up on on your Facebook page. You share a lot of your knowledge there. And uh, just recently I ran across a, a post that you had put up discussing call bucks. And that term has gotten a lot of varying opinions on it right now. And you have an interesting approach, an approach that I think to me makes practical sense. So, but before we get into your approach, tell me what exactly a cull buck is. Let's just try to define that because I think there's a lot of varying opinions on what that is.
2: Well, there is no Wikipedia definition for a cull buck. You know, the term cull is something uh, where you're removing something inferior, but there is no straight-out definition for a call. A, a call buck in Iowa is not the same thing as a call buck in South Alabama. It's based on that property, a site-specific definition on that property, and pretty much what it is is a deer that you feel will not reach the potential of your better deer. So, if, if I consider a call buck one that I can look at and determine that he just does not have the genetic potential. Become what our our higher quality, and right. so we choose to remove. It.
0: And I think it's important you making that distinction. It's not that you're saying I'm I'm not removing that deer to improve the genetics of the deer in the area. I'm removing that deer because it exhibits less genetic potential as other deer that I have on my property. Is that correct?
2: That's right. I mean, this is something that's kind of been like beating a dead horse. We've seen study after study after study saying you cannot improve the genetic potential of a herd by removing call bucks. We know that. We understand that. We knew that 10 years ago. We're not trying to say that. What we're trying to say is I know this buck does not have the potential antler-wise to be what I want him to be on that property. Now, he might have it body-wise, you know. We killed 230 pound call bucks, big old body bucks, but he does not have the antler potential to be what we want. We're not removing him because we think we're going to change the genetic makeup of the herd. You, you, you can't do it, it can't be done. We're removing them because, number one, we don't want to feed them anymore. You know, with, with the cost of planting clover fields and putting out supplemental feed and things like that, why do I want a landowner? To spend that money on a buck that does not have the potential to be what we want him to be. So we're removing him because we don't want to feed that deer any longer. So he has the potential to be what we call a bully buck, which means just because he has small antlers on his head doesn't mean he wants to, doesn't want to fight every other buck out there. And when you start getting some of these big 200, 220 pound bucks in that three, four, five year old age class, and they're going to displace a younger buck with much better antler potential you can only hold so many bucks on a property and that's what people need to understand if a cattle farmer has a pasture that has the capabilities of feeding 50 head of cattle and he puts 75 or 100 head of cattle on that property it's just not the extra ones that are going to suffer the entire herd of cattle is going to suffer because there's not enough pasture there to feed them all it's the same thing with deer I can only hold so many deer on a piece of property based on the habitat. So why do I want to hold a buck who has shown that he does not have the antler quality of what I'm trying to produce? So I don't, I don't want to feed him. And I don't want him to become a bully buck and displace a buck with much better potential. I, I put a, a post up on my Facebook page here back on several weeks ago, and it was a great big old six-pointer and big old scarred-up neck. Well, how did he get that scarred-up neck? It's because he's been fighting with other bucks. Now, he has the potential to break antlers on other bucks, he has the potential to to put an eye out on another buck, and he has the potential to displace a younger buck of much better quality. So, everything about him being on my property is, is negative.
0: Let's. I want to step back to something you said, which is that a a given property can only support so many mature bucks, and that's true. Like you said, with cattle, it's true with timber. A piece of ground is only going to produce so many board feet of timber in, in a certain given time period. But let's talk about that a little bit. If I'm looking at a piece of ground, and let's assume we're talking about the southeast, and let's assume that that piece of property has all the other pieces in place. It's the best habitat available is what I'm trying to say. Is there a rule of thumb for how many mature deer a property can hold? Or is it more off of, say, the size of the property itself? Like a mature buck is going to control a certain amount of land?
2: Well, you have to understand that there's two different periods, the rut and the non-rut. You know, for 10 months or so out of the year, Those bucks get along fine together. They're bachelor groups. They're feeding side by side. They have no problem. For two months out of the year, they want to kill each other. So for 10 months out of the year, I can hold a lot more than I will for those two months. When that rut period comes along, those bucks are going to go where they can find a doe and and don't have to fight as much for it. So they're going to spread out, and you're going to have bucks leave your property. That's just... I mean, that's a given fact. It's part of the rut. But for those 10 months or so out of the year where they're not doing that, I can hold a lot of them. To give you an example, I managed a property in South Carolina for many years, and it's about 10,000 acres. And on that property, we harvested every year an average of 40 to 45 mature bucks. So we were harvesting a mature buck for every 250 acres. Mm. and you know we weren't killing everyone that walked so we we were harvesting a mature buck for every 250 acres so that and again i managed it for many years i had it set up just the way i wanted but that shows what can be done did we lose bucks to our neighbors we sure did because we had a lot of mature bucks and when the rut came they they dispersed some and and we lost some to our neighbors but that's that's going to happen no matter where you are but That just kind of gives you an idea of what you can hold and harvest. You know, when you figure we were harvesting a mature buck for every 250 acres, it kind of tells you how many we were actually holding.
0: Right. So if you've got a mature buck, say for every 250 acres, again, I I realize it's completely variable. It depends on the property and and habitat and terrain, a lot of different factors. But at what point are we in your realm? What are we calling a mature buck? Is this a three, four, five-year-old deer?
2: Again, site-specific, if you go to South Texas, most of the high-end ranches in South Texas now are not even shooting bucks until they're at least six and a lot of times seven years old. And the reason is because they're seeing antler quality continue to improve all the way up through seven years of age. There's other areas where you will not see that. We consider a mature buck, we don't base it on antler quality, it's based on the skeletal system of the deer. A buck, through his first three years of age, the skeletal system will continue to grow. After three years of age, his skeletal system and body is pretty much completed growing. And from so we consider from four years on, and, and most people do, from four years up, is what is considered a mature buck. And, and that's also why after three years of age, you see much more antler increase. Because for the first three years of that buck's life, most of what he's consuming feed-wise is going to produce that body. It's only the excess that goes to the antler. Once they pass that three-year age class, and that body and skeletal system has completed growth, there's a lot more that can go to the antlers, and that's why you see such a jump in antler growth from four years on.
0: That makes sense. So, getting back to the cull buck question, do we need to let all the bucks on our properties reach maturity to determine if they're a cull buck?
2: No. A lot of people that know me know I cut my teeth in deer management in South Texas. I went there and I learned my brand of deer management from the the boys in South Texas. And you know, one of the things I've learned is the quicker that you can identify that buck and remove him, the better off you are. If, if you wait until he's five years old to shoot him, you've accomplished nothing. you fed him for five years. For the past two years, he's probably taken a good part in the rut and been fighting with other bucks and displacing other bucks and things like that. So if you wait until they're five or six years old or whatever until you harvest them mature, you accomplish nothing. So, the, the goal is to remove them, to identify them, and remove them as quickly as possible because, again, they're not taking up my resources. They're not u- utilizing my feed. They're not taking up a spot in the herd that could be used by a buck with much better quality. So, again, I, I can only hold so many deer on my property. I want to hold the best, So as quickly as possible, I want to learn to identify these bucks that have lower end potential and remove them as soon as possible, and that's where we are so big on camera survey.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be continuing to talk to Mark Buxton about when you should and shouldn't take a cold buck. Hey guys, we get a lot of landowners that want to know, how much is my land really worth? We've recorded a video series to explain exactly how we determine that. Just head over to landhunting.com slash go to get the series. I'm confident it will help you achieve your land goals. And we're back. Today we are talking with Mark Buxton of Southeastern Wildlife Habitat Services. And Mark's got a little bit different take on the practice of culling. It obviously is variable. What happens on the coastal plain versus the black belt, say, of Alabama? Your your cull buck down on inferior soils and inferior habitat is going to be smaller, different than cull buck that's on better soils with better habitat. So how do we identify at a given age structure? What kind of characteristics are we looking for? Uh, with regards to age structure. So if I see, you know, I've got doing a camera survey on my property and I find I've got these six two-and-a-half-year-old bucks, how do you determine who's inferior?
2: We start removing bucks at three years of age aggressively. This year, we've actually put a few on the hit list list that were two years old. Now, again, saying that is I've been doing this for 30-some years. So, you know, a guy's going out there shooting two-year-olds is not what I'm saying to do. I'm saying that we've learned this over a period of time, learned to identify certain bucks, and that's what we teach our landowners to do. And again, like you said, on a black belt Alabama property where we're consistently growing 150, 160, and some upper above that class deer, the class of a call buck on that property will be different than the coastal plain where 125-inch deer is big. So it's site-specific. You cannot put down a a definition of this is the size buck you need to shoot at the call. It's different on every property. And and when we go to a property, what we consider a buck that goes on the hit list on that property is based just on that property, nowhere else. Based on what we know we can produce on that property, what a top-end buck is for that property, and what we consider a buck that doesn't have the potential to do that. And depending on whether we're in the Black Belt of Alabama, the mountains of North Georgia, or the coastal plain of South Carolina, determines on what we consider a cull buck is. And, and throughout time, we own these properties. We've learned what that is. The biggest problem is is people almost use the term, I won't say almost, they do use the term cull buck just as the reason to shoot something.
0: Oh, sure. And...
2: You have to understand that you have to know that the reason that deer has inferior antler quality is because of genetics. You don't know that unless you know 100% absolutely sure that that buck has been on high quality nutrition throughout the antler growing period. A, A buck that has lived on a timber property and pretty much the only thing out there is pine needles all summer, you can't look at that deer and say that's a cull because you have no idea what his level of nutrition was. So in our management program on the properties we've managed, culling is a big part, but it's the end part. It's, it's what's done after everything else is accomplished that we set up to improve habitat. And then we know, we know when that buck walks out, that deer has been on high-quality nutrition. From the day his last set of antlers cast off his head until the day he walked out today, he has been in high quality habitat and high quality nutrition. So we know that's not a limiting factor. So we can then say it's genetic potential. When a deer that's been on a a piece of property where, like I said, pretty much a, a sea of pine needles, you can't say that. You cannot hold that against him for having inferior antler quality if. He has been on limited nutrition throughout the antler growing period. So shooting or identifying or shooting a cold buck to us is the end of the game where everything else has been accomplished first to improve the habitat and then you do that because you just can't say that deer is genetically inferior unless you are 100% sure nutrition has not been a limiting factor.
0: Right. So, let me ask you a quick question. I see this a lot. Uh, guys will see a deer that has uh, you know, one good side and then the other side will be a spike or a cow horn or, or the antler will have just some, a deformity to it. Do you see that that particular scenario is more genetics-based or is that a pedicle in injury or some other type of injury to that animal? And then the second part of that question is, when you see an animal like that, What's your plan of action? Do you give him one more year to see if he comes through it?
2: Always. You always have to give the deer the benefit of the doubt because, again, you haven't been out there 365 days a year that deer. You don't know what's happened to him. You know, to give him a death sentence because one side is messed up, again, it can be a velvet injury, which will correct itself. It could be a pedicle injury, which will remain constant. It could be genetics. It could be from a, a... skeletal injury from a broken leg or something. You don't know what it is, but until you identify that it is permanent, you can't remove that deer. I, and I I do this on our Facebook page all the time. I put a buck up a picture. Um, I don't know where it was weeks ago, but he's a he for Alabama. He's a big deer. He's probably coastal. Probably in one sixties. Big old heavy mass on him. Great big buck antlered Buck. I put a picture of him up last year, and his right side was somewhat deformed. It went kind of straight up and looked kind of weird, you know. Well, if that deer had been shot, based on that one year, he would not be 160 inch buck this year. So we always give them two years to prove to us what they are and whether it's permanent. Do we get pictures of them looks the same as it did yet last year? Yep, we sure do. And we remove them. But we also get pictures of them that have a deformed side, and next year they're a giant. So you have to give the deer the benefit of the doubt until he proves to you that that antler deformity is permanent. And, and and my point about that is, okay, here's one example that I showed. Well, just think how many bucks have been shot in Alabama because of the of deformed antler and said he was a cull. First of all, it was the first the first year he was like that. He was on a property that was probably timber company land and he, nutrition was was very lacking yet he's a cull. All the reasons not to shoot him as they cull, just think how many get shot that every year that that way. So and, and that's what I try to tell people. We remove culls, we, we do it every year on the properties where we know it's right, but we never do it until we know one hundred percent sure that nutrition was not a limiting factor.
0: So it seems like deer culling is really just one tactic in a, in a bucket full of strategies. I mean, we've got a a lot of things that have to get in place before we can worry, really even worry about culling. And if someone is not taking camera surveys and they're not, and they don't really know what's on their property, they really can't say with any kind of authority or any, or any kind of certainty that a, that a deer that they've shot is a quote unquote cull.
2: Well, as I tell people, culling, when you see a five-year-old buck and he's a six-pointer, that's a no-brainer. I don't care what property he's on. If he's five years old and he's a six-pointer, yeah, I'm, I'm going to shoot him. I don't care. I'm talking about identifying bucks as early as we can and removing them for inferior antler quality. So you have to think of it this way. How many properties in the, are there in Alabama where it is at its tip-top best as far as deer habitat is concerned? Not a whole lot. It's the matter you know, Right. And that's what we, when we step on a property, the first thing we tell people is, is you've got to correct your habitat before you can even think about shooting a call. again, look at children in a third world country that are malnourished. You can't hold that against the child because of the way he was raised or whatever. Well, you can't hold it against a buck either until you know that your property, optimum habitat, and nutrition is not a limiting factor, then you cannot say we're shooting call bucks. You know? Well, that that call bucks are the on our high end properties that we've been managing for years and we figure that habitat is at its optimum, nutrition is not limiting. That's where we make up hit list for what we would consider a call buck. But again, that's the end of the game. There's very few properties that are ready for that. You need to spend your time on habitat first before you, you think about that. Uh, now, if you get a picture on camera survey two years in a row, this buck has got a deformed side, okay, yeah, that's a permanent deformity. If you don't want him there, yes, yeah, and that's good reason to remove it. But, again, giving the benefit of the doubt and giving two years to prove it.
1: Mark, well, i got one question, and this is something I, I'm asked a lot, and I've got my little quirky ways to do it, but what do you find is the most, I guess you'd say, the easiest way to identify a buck – and track him into the future?
2: When I do a camera survey, there's a difference between doing a camera survey and looking at pictures from a game camera. You know, you don't scroll through them looking for a buck real quick. You have to identify every buck, identify numbers of does, all that. So, you know, we go through thousands and thousands of pictures in a night. You know, it's nothing to sit down and have, you know, 5,000 pictures to go through in a night. But every buck is identified by his age class, and then his number of points. So I know how many two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-olds I have on a property. And I can look at him and, and know who he is. Now, another thing is, is a lot of bucks will have something different about them. They might have a chip out of their ear. They might have a, a, a much more defined black streak down the top of their back. Their throat patch might be bigger. Anyway, we learn to identify those things. Now, if he's a 160-inch 10-pointer, pretty much figure out who he is but it's those 15 inch eight pointers that all look the same where you need to identify something about him that separates him from the others and then we keep up with him for that year and then the next year we start looking for him again
0: great well, Mark, I've, I appreciate you sharing you know, your take on call bucks and helping our listeners to uh, make better decisions with their properties. If folks want to follow your Facebook page or, or get in touch with you, tell, tell them that Facebook page. You put up a ton of great information there.
2: Um, it's listed under my name, Mark Buxton, and then Southeastern Wildlife Habitat Services. I believe you can just type in that name, Southeastern Wildlife Habitat Services, and it'll come up.
0: Well, Mark, again, thank you for, uh, for joining us today. We've definitely learned a lot from you and uh, look forward to having you back on sometime in the future. I hope you have a good consulting season and uh, stay safe running the roads out there, man.
2: All uh, right. I sure do appreciate it. Y'all have a good day.
0: Well, Clint, are you, uh, are you feeling even worse about not getting a shot at that six-year-old six-point this weekend? Or are you feeling like maybe you need to give
1: him one more year? Uh, definitely not one more year. Uh, if I see him again, uh, it is in season. He's going down, but I'm, I'm hoping he's just running all those two and a half year olds and three and a half year olds around on my property or maybe into my property from the neighbors and we'll just get better inventory because of him.
0: Tell you what, I for me, it's good to hear that culling can be part of a, of a management strategy because, but it takes a lot more than just um, seeing a deer with a messed up side or uh, something like that to be able to determine if it's a, if it's truly a cull, but something that's, you know, interesting to what he was talking about. I really thought it was interesting how, you know, a lot of people will say, well, a cull is, a cull is X. A cull is a deer with a messed up side. A cull is a, is a four year old that's a six point. But what Mark was saying is that it's really location dependent. Uh, what, what happens in, say, you know, a County, Florida is not the same cull deer as a, Deer in
1: Dallas County, Alabama. That's right. So, I mean, it comes back to, like we say a lot in this business, is location, location, location. So you have to understand what the property that you're looking to buy or own is capable of and operate within those bounds. You can't go to a, you know, sandy coastal area and complain when you can't grow a 170 inch buck. I mean, it's just almost impossible with the, you know, like Mark said, the lack of nutrition and the other components that come into it. You know, you need to work with somebody that knows how to help you find a property in the right locations if you want to grow that kind of deer so that you don't end up spending a lot of time and money buying something in an area that's just not capable of it.
0: Right. Understanding the potential of the property is important. I mean, I guess it's the same thing too with, I mean, we're talking about deer, but you could relate this very easily back
1: over to timber. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the dirt rules all.
0: Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. Guys, we want to hear from you. If you got any questions about the show or... Want us to email it to you each week? Just send us an email at pros at landhunting.com. That's pros at landhunting, no g, dot com.